Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. What a privilege it is to have the Word of God in our own language and to be able to open it today and to look in to see what God has to say to us. And it's grateful, I'm grateful that there are faithful missionaries around the world who are working to extend that privilege to people who do not yet have the Bible in their own language. And so thank you very much, Anna, for your report today. Uh, That was a great blessing. I'm actually going to introduce the passage of scripture that we're reading this morning uh, by reading a short segment from one of my favorite authors. Uh, This is from something written by Patrick F. McManus, and uh, the uh, particular article this is taken out of is called The Theory and Application of Old Men. Now, the particular part I'd like to read says, keep in mind that most old men are masters of the art of digression. They will start off something like this. I recollect the time a bobcat got loose in Poke Martin's plane. Funniest thing I ever seen. Old Poke, he was flying supplies into Pat Doyle's camp at Terrible Creek. Terrible Creek, that's where I caught a 20-pound char at one time on a piece of bacon rind. Ha! Old Shorty Long and me was running a trap line that winter, about the coldest winter since I got my tongue stuck on the pump handle when I was a youngin. Back in those days, in this fashion, the average old man will digress back to about the time of the earth's crust was beginning to harden, and then will work his way back to the original topic, touching every base as he goes. A brief anecdote is somehow transformed into the history of Western civilization, but it is all entertaining and enlightening. As we are sharing events with each other, it's not unusual that we will uh, flash back to something earlier or uh, give foreshadowing about something that comes later in order to help communicate the main point of what we're trying to communicate. And uh, God is no different in his word. It's not unusual that as God is revealing something to us, that in order to help us understand the main point, uh, he will talk about something that's going to happen far in the future, or he will call our attention back to something that happened far in the past. And this morning, we are going to be looking at three visions in the book of Revelation. And in the course of these three visions, we see that uh, God does some of this uh, doing flashbacks and, and for, um, foreshadowing, looking forward into the future. And so we will cover large portions of time where God will go here and then he'll go here and then he'll go here. And uh, in some sense, it makes it a little bit difficult to say, how am I going to put together a chronological chart of the book of Revelation? Uh, But on the other hand, as God is doing this, he's helping us to understand the things that are really important about what he's telling us 
and these three visions. And so with that in mind, I'd like to invite you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 11. And the first of these three visions that we're looking at this morning talks about the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And so in Revelation chapter 11, I would like to read verses 15 through 19 in your hearing. And so I'd like to invite you to stand together for the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. It says, then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned, the nations were angry and your wrath has come and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings and earthquake and great hail. As we prepare to look at these visions in God's word, let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, you've told us that the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God because they're spiritually discerned. Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts that we would be able to understand what you're saying to us in these three visions and that this information would help to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, and would equip us to serve him better. I ask in his name, amen. You may be seated. Well, you may remember that as we've been studying the book of Revelation, that the book as a whole is structured into groups, three different groups of seven things. And so you start out and uh, you have seven seals and then you have seven trumpets and then you have seven bowls or vials. And the particular vision that we're looking at right here deals with the seventh trumpet. In verse 15, it says, then the seventh angel sounded. And so we're dealing with the seventh trumpet. And as the trumpet sounds, we find out that God and Jesus reign. It says, we give you, it says, um, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And those words may sound familiar. Uh, they're used in a song, and we will touch upon that a little bit later. But God's victory 
is so certain that as the seventh trumpet sounds, we are flashing forward to his ultimate victory. And the celebration begins of God's victory over sin and death and hell and everything associated with them. And as this celebration is taking place, in verse 16, we have representatives of God's people throughout the ages falling down in worship to him. It says in verse 16, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. And as we are talking about the 24 elders, I believe that we have the 12 patriarchs of the nation of Israel and the 12 apostles of the church together representing God's people throughout all the ages. And they're falling down in worship to God. And then in verses 17 and 18, we hear the words of their worship. And they say, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned, the nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And so the 24 elders are worshiping God because he is going to end wickedness and establish righteousness on the face of the earth. And in verse 18 then, we have a reference to the nations were angry. And this is pretty much a, a good state of the uh, nations of the earth uh, in the entire time between the fall of mankind and between the time of the establishment of God's or Christ's millennial kingdom on the face of the earth. But this was especially expressed in one particular event in history. In Psalm chapter 2, it's referred to, it says, why do the heathen rage? And it talks about the kings of the earth uh, gathering together against God and against his anointed one. And in Acts 4.25, as uh, the apostles are reflecting on this verse, they're saying this is talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That the ultimate act of the anger of the nations against God was reflected when as a representative of the Roman Empire, Pilate, and as a representative of, of the Jewish nation, Herod, and, and the Sanhedrin, and uh, the other leaders of the day gathered together in order to put Jesus Christ to death. The wicked rulers of the world were angry against God, and because of that, they killed his son, Jesus Christ. But God overruled their wickedness. It played a pivotal role in his plan of redemption, so that on the cross, Jesus bore the penalty that we deserve, so that we can now share in the reward that he deserves. And now that the wicked have poured out their anger against God, the time has come for God to pour out his wrath on the wicked and the time to reward his faithful saints, the righteous. Not having a righteousness of their own, but a righteousness that they've received through faith in Jesus Christ, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
And so in verse 19 then, the temple in heaven is opened. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings and noises, thunderings and earthquake and great hail. Now you may remember in Matthew chapter 25 or 27 verse 51 and also in uh, parallel texts in Mark and in Luke that when Jesus Christ was being crucified and as he completed his work on the cross, he cried out in a loud voice and the veil in the temple was torn in two from top down to bottom. And that was because the penalty of sin had been paid in full by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And the way into God's presence was now open to those who would be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And here in Revelation chapter 11, we have this reality being reflected in the temple of God in heaven. The way into God's presence is now open through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the main ideas of this vision in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19, associated with the blowing of the seventh trumpet is God wins. The wicked are going to be punished. The righteous are going to be rewarded. And this vision actually then prepares us for the next two visions that are to come because this vision gives us the context that helps the next two visions that are coming from being too grim because the next two visions that come are somewhat grim. Now the second vision is found in chapter 12 and it begins with the sign of a woman. And in Revelation chapter 12, I'd like to read that entire chapter in your hearing. And so I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of this portion of God's word. Revelation chapter 12. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, 
Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You may be seated. And so Revelation chapter 11, uh, verse 15, we saw, flashed forward to the end of the age and the celebration of God's ultimate victory. But as we come to Revelation chapter 12, it starts out by looking back in history to the first coming of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 1, we have the sign of a woman. It says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. And so the woman having the sun on her head and the moon at her feet and a garland of twelve stars, it alludes to Joseph's dream in Genesis chapter 37, 9, in which the sun, moon, and stars represented the ancestors of the nation of Israel. And so the use here identifies this woman as a picture of the nation of Israel. It's kind of like when you have an editorial cartoon and you see a picture of Uncle Sam that you know that's a representation of the United States. It's a symbol of him. And as we have this woman and she has the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, they say, ah, yes, there's a picture of the nation of Israel. And in verse 2, then, we see that the nation of Israel is about to give birth to the Messiah. And Jesus is about to come. And so in verse 2, it says, Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And so God worked miraculously through time, through the nation of Israel, in order to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ so that he could carry out God's plan for the world. But God's plan for the world was not without opposition. And so in verses 3 and 4, we see, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, verse 3 describes a great fiery red dragon. 
And we know from the commentary in verse 9 of this chapter that that is Satan. And verse 4 tells us how Satan, says his tail, throws a third of the stars of heaven to earth. And again, if we look forward to verse 9, we see these stars described as Satan's angels. And so it seems that when Satan, who was created by God and was once a glorious angel, as he conceived in his heart to rebel against God, that he managed to convince a third of the angelic host to follow him in that rebellion. And we saw in verse 4 then that the dragon is waiting to devour the Messiah. And that was fulfilled in Herod. You may remember that after Jesus was born, Herod conceived of a plan related in Matthew chapter 2 to kill all the children of Bethlehem so that he could eliminate the Messiah. And of course, God frustrated that plan. And so we flashed backward to the coming of Jesus Christ, but suddenly in verse 5, we flash forward again. And it says, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And so we jump all the way from the birth of Jesus to his ascension into heaven and even get a nod to his eventual uh, rule during the millennium on the earth. And then verse 6 flashes forward yet again. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,200 and 60 days. And so this woman, who represents Israel, uh, will find refuge in the wilderness during the Great Tribulation for 1,260 days. And we know from Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, 12, 7, and chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, that this, uh, these roughly three and a half year periods are uh, a reference to the Great Tribulation. And so it seems that during the Great Tribulation, the nation of Israel will flee out to the wilderness, and there she will receive shelter from Satan's attempts to destroy her. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in verses 13 to 17. But verses 7 through 11 here then tell us that Satan and his angels are going to lose access to heaven at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. It says, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. And so you may remember in the book of Job that... Uh, Job was a righteous man, and Satan went before God in heaven and basically said, Job only serves you because of what he can get out of you. He was accusing Job before God in heaven. 
And we see then in verse 10 that Satan is called the accuser of our brethren. And so it seems that Satan currently has access to heaven where he accuses us before the throne of God, but that he is going to lose his access to heaven during the time of the great tribulation. And verse 12 tells us that when Satan loses his access to the throne of God in heaven, it's going to bring great joy in heaven and it's going to bring great suffering on the face of the earth. It says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And so as the devil is cast down to earth during the time of the great tribulation, he's going to make life miserable for people on the face of the earth. And that is consistent with his character. He does not come to give life. He comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And as his activities are Restricted to the surface of the earth, he's going to focus on the surface of the earth and make things much worse than they have ever been before in history. And then when we come to verses 13 through 16, it repeats the theme of verse 6 about Israel fleeing into the wilderness. It says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And so verse 13 tells us of the hatred that Satan has toward the people of Israel and his desire to destroy them during the time of the great tribulation. But verse 14 tells us, <coughs> excuse me, that God is going to provide shelter for the people of Israel during the tribulation in the wilderness. And verses 15 and 16 tell us that God is going to protect them there from satanic attacks. And so verse 17 then tells us that Satan is going to make war on her offspring since he cannot attack her. It says, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so you may remember back in Revelation chapter 7 that there were 144,000 uh, Jewish believers who were marked with God's seal. And then you may remember that uh, later in chapter 7, there was a great multitude from every kingdom and people and tribe and nation who had come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result. And so it seems that during the time of the tribula tribulation, Jewish believers are going to witness to Gentiles and many Gentiles will come to faith in Jesus Christ and these Gentiles will be the spiritual offspring of the nation of Israel. And Satan will be making war on these Gentile believers during the great tribulation. Now, many of you know our missionary Dale Stewart 
And uh, last summer, a team from our church was able to go and work with uh, Dale Stewart in Montana. And uh, while we were in Montana, uh, one of the things that Dale told me about was killing rattlesnakes. And uh, one of the things that Dale said about killing rattlesnakes is when you kill a rattlesnake, the very first thing you do afterward is you chop off its head and you bury it. It's not enough just to kill the snake because if you kill the rattlesnake, it will still strike and kill people. And it's not enough to just chop off the head because as long as that head is still above the ground, it will still bite and inflict its venom and kill and injure people. You have to put that head safely under the ground in order to eliminate the threat of that snake. And the main point of Revelation chapter 12 is that Jesus Christ has defeated Satan, but Satan is still dangerous during the tribulation. He has not yet been put into the lake of fire where he's going to be punished for all of eternity. And as long as he is defeated but not yet put into the lake of fire, he is still pouring out his venom on the face of the earth. And the final vision that we are going to look at this morning then outlines the dragon's war on the face of the earth. That vision concerns two beasts and it's found in Revelation chapter 13. And so I'd like to invite you to stand one more time for the reading of God's word. And I'd like to read Revelation chapter 13 in your hearing. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast." So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given great authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints." Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, 
telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is 666. You may be seated. So the vision of chapter 13 picks up where the vision of chapter 12 leaves off. And so... In verses 1 and 2, we're told that during the tribulation, Satan is going to raise up an evil ruler who is pictured as a dangerous wild beast. It said, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his, heads, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And this description of this evil ruler as a beast harks back to the book of Daniel where empires and rulers of this world are pictured as beasts. Historically, sinful men have ruled the earth in sinful ways. And demonic forces have influenced them to be even more wicked and brutal than they otherwise would have been. And the very last sinful man to rule satanically over the face of the earth will be empowered to a degree that has never before been seen in history. And the beast of the book of Revelation is going to make Attila the Hun and uh, Nero and Vlad the Impaler and Pol Pot and Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin look like Mr. Nice Guy because he is going to be so evil. And the thought will be, oh, if we could only have someone only as evil as Adolf Hitler ruling over us, things would be so much better than they are now that the beast is ruling over us. Now in 1 John chapter 2.18, this evil ruler that will arise is called the Antichrist. And he's called the Antichrist because he's someone who tries to take the place of Christ. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse 3, we can see that his imitation of Jesus Christ, his attempt to be an imposter who looks like Jesus Christ extends to having a quasi-resurrection. It says, and I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. And then we're told that for 42 months or three and a half years, the wicked will worship Satan and the beast. 
And so verses 4 through 6 say, So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And then we can remember that back in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, we were told that Satan is going to make war against the tribulation saints. And according to chapter 7 here in verse in cha- cha- verse 7 in chapter 13, he is going to use the beast as his instrument in order to wage war against the tribulation saints. And so verse 7 says, It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so the time will come when there will be no ambiguity on the face of the earth. Everyone on the face of the earth is either going to be openly and publicly worshiping Satan and the beast, or they are going to be openly and publicly worshiping Jesus Christ. And so in verse 8, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And in the midst of this terrifying vision, then, God gives reassurance to the tribulation saints in verses 9 and 10. He says, if anyone has has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And so they are reassured that the wicked will be punished and that justice will ultimately be done when they're in in the midst of this vision of terrible things that are going to be happening. In the remainder of the chapter then, we are introduced to yet another beast. And this beast tries to appear righteous, but his words are evil. And so it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. And because of the work that this beast does in in verses 12 through 14 of this chapter, he is widely known as the false prophet. It says, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs, so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived." And so you may remember that in Matthew 24, 24, Jesus prophesies that false prophets and false teachers will come and they will deceive. And this particular false prophet is the false prophet of all false prophets, the one to end all 
false prophets. And so he deceives the world and he leads them in the idolatrous worship of the beast. And the false prophet then animates an idolatrous image and the image orders everyone who will not worship the image to be killed. In verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And one way in which he kills those who will not worship the beast is by refusing them access to the necessities of life. And so in verses 16 and 7, it says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so the tribulation saints will be unable to buy and sell. And if they are not killed in some other way, they will face starvation. Now, verse 18 then brings us to one of the most discussed books or passages in the entire Bible. Verse 18 says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And so it says, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. I've heard a host of suggestions regarding the name of the beast. I don't yet have understanding. So 2 Thessalonians 2.3 tells us that the Antichrist has not yet been revealed. And I believe that this verse is written for the benefit of the tribulation saints. That as they are looking at the Antichrist, they're able to say, yes, his name does correspond with 666. This guy is the beast. And so the main point of chapter 13 is that in his death rows, Satan will use two beasts in order to lash out against God and to make life miserable on the face of the earth. And so as we then have looked at these three visions, we have seen the nations will rage, Satan will make war, beasts, the beast will ravage, the false prophet will deceive, but God will reign. And so I'd like to close the message this morning by listening to the song I refer to that takes the words of Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.